0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Pauley. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at www.harmonybible.org. So we've been working our way through the book of Colossians. And uh, we're finally uh, getting close to chapter 4. We're about halfway through chapter 3 and we're kind of working our way through. And the book of Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing this letter to the church in Colossae, and he's addressing some false teaching, as we've said each week. And the false teaching that really is being presented, it seems, is that the gospel, that Jesus is not enough, that Jesus is good, that they need Jesus, but they need to add these human traditions, these additional experiences, if they are truly going to be saved, if they are truly going to live a fulfilling Christian life. And Paul says, no, Jesus is enough. That the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is sufficient. And as we worked our way through last week, we got to our message, which was God's design for harmony at harmony. Cute, huh? God's design for harmony, for peace at harmony, part one. And we looked at Colossians 3.15. We talked about letting the gospel rule in our hearts. Letting the gospel rule our lives, both individually and corporately. We talked about striving for a spirit of thankfulness, both individually and corporately. And today, we're going to look at verse 16, the second point in our sermon outline, being a Bible-centered church, or being Bible-centered. So last week, we talked about how how we are to um, be gospel-focused, Or gospel-minded, and today we talk about being Bible-centered. Look at Colossians three sixteen with me, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. We're actually going to read verses fifteen through seventeen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So as Bill mentioned, we switched the order of the service around a little bit and decided that because today's message is focused primarily on, or or in large part on singing, and singing with thankfulness and the purpose of music within the church, that it would make sense to do that at the end of the service as kind of a response to the message, as a response to God's Word. So Paul begins verse 16 by saying this, it says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And if we are going to understand this imperative, this command, we must ask what Paul means by the word of Christ. And what does it mean to let it dwell within us? First, let's consider the phrase, the word of Christ. Some commentators argue that this refers to the actual words that Jesus spoke during His earthly ministry. The words that you might find in red in your Bible, so to speak. That the words of Christ, they say, refer to the words that Jesus actually spoke to His apostles, to His disciples. However, the context makes it clear that Paul is referring to more than just the specific words Christ spoke, but instead the entire ministry of Christ. The New Living Translation, which really is, is more... Um, interpretive in nature, it speaks to it seeks to interpret Scripture, to clarify Scripture at times. Uh, does a great job at communicating the meaning of this phrase. I believe it says this: "Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives." So it's the message about Christ that is the word of Christ, and it's parallel to what we saw in verse 15 last week: the peace of Christ. And last week we talked about the peace of Christ, and the peace of Christ is the peace that is made possible through Jesus. So we're given peace with God, we're brought into a place where we're at peace with God, therefore we have peace in our hearts because of what Jesus did for us through the gospel. And in the same way, he's talking about the gospel here. He's talking about the word that is about Christ. So it includes the words that Jesus spoke during His earthly ministry, but it's so much more than that. It's the word about Jesus. It's the Gospel. Now, when I say the Gospel, I want you to understand what I mean. We actually, uh, Thursday night at my community group, this came up. What is the Gospel? We had a, a new believer who said... When you talk about the Gospel, what is the Gospel? I mean, I know the Gospel's in the Bible, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but what is the the Gospel? And we, we tried to flesh that out and talk about what is the Gospel, it's the good news, the good news about Jesus Christ, the good news of God. I actually want to take a quick moment here and look at a quick video that I have that I think explains the gospel. I'll warn you, it's a little different than maybe what we're used to at Harmony here, but it's a, gospel that exp- a video that explains the gospel quite well. If
1: you were to ask me, what is the gospel? You know, i probably tell them something like this. Jesus. He came to dwell in a body for those rebelling, those who selling out, fellas fell in traps. He came to get us out. He came to our prison just to bail us out. Barely do we ever listen, fellas doubt, failing, taking hellish routes. When Christ came to live among us full of grace and truth, angels rejoice because our heaven's about to break loose. And he can replace nooses with bread or some grape juice, but we rather follow after bottles of that great goose. We all are felons in hell and wickedness. Wait, dude, the true light, he had darkness he had to break through. To make a great truce, he came as a baby. Wrapped inside a human frame to claim the lame, it's crazy. He said, take up your bed and walk. Take these five fish and feed. Peace be still to storms, the sovereign Lord, this is he. There's no one like him, that's why I like him. Risen indeed, he says, prison is free. I repented and believe.' Time and time again, I've got to get my mind correct. Buffet my body, because I be wildly got to get in step. He leads me wisely, must follow even when I object. Trust me, cause I checked and homie, he ain't lied yet. He's never mistaken either. Ignore the great deceiver, the adversary whose very goal is to shake believers. He'll bake in a lake, but we the saints can't forsake the leader. We plead with non-believers to receive the grace of Jesus. I'm reminded then the way he showed me much mercy. I was dirty till I trusted him who's trustworthy. He splits the seas, gives decrees, gets victories with ease. Yet he was kicked and crucified in the midst of thieves. If it was up to me, I'd be living lost and sick. Because when I got to leave, I just led me off of cliffs. He leads me to life, the bread of life feeds me right. So I believe him and follow Jesus because he is Christ. Amen. So again, a little different here.
0: I think it's just a great illustration, a great uh, description of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not sure about his Yankees hat. But we're all still being sanctified, aren't we? The point in showing that is to say the gospel, there's so much in the gospel, the good news, that God has been calling a people out to Himself since the beginning of time, that we separated ourselves from God, we declared war with God in our sin, and that God is rescuing a people for Himself. And that it's only by grace, by the grace of God, through what He's done, through faith, and what He's done on the cross, by sending Jesus Christ, His only Son, Himself coming in the flesh and dying on the cross for our sins and then being raised on that third day. You see, and we talk about the Gospel, but this is the Gospel. That's what this book is all about. It all points to Jesus. The Old Testament points uh, forward to Jesus And the New Testament points back to Jesus. It points to the work of Christ on the cross. So when Paul talks about the word about Christ, that is precisely what he is talking about. The Gospel, the good news. He's talking about the Bible. Now you'll notice in your sermon outline, the second key to God's design for harmony at Harmony is to be Bible-centered. Because that's exactly what Paul is encouraging here in Colossians 3.16. So when I use the term Bible-centered, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that many churches claim to be Bible-centered, but then miss the message of the book. They miss the message of the Gospel. And I do not want to be there. I don't want to be like the modern-day Pharisee who thinks that the Bible teaches that we are justified by keeping the law but neither do I want to be like the libertine who says we should just go on sinning so that grace may abound. Instead, may we live in light of the Gospel, in light of the truth of Ephesians 2, 8-10, which says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. No, we are not saved by good works. But the response to the Gospel is to live a life that honors Christ. The response to the Gospel is good works. So the Word of Christ refers to the good news about Jesus. And we can extend that really to all of the Scriptures, to the entire Bible. So what does Paul mean when he says to the Colossians to let it richly dwell within them? Well, the same Greek word um, is translated dwell is found four other places in Scripture. First, Romans 8.11 says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So this idea of the Spirit dwelling in us. Or 2 Corinthians 6.16 Or what argument has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That God is dwelling inside of us. Or 2 Timothy 1.5, which says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I'm sure that it's in you as well. Paul writing to, to Timothy, he says, I'm sure that this faith that dwelled in your mother and your grandmother, that it's dwelling inside of you. And 2 Timothy 1.14, he says, Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. So guard this treasure which dwells in you, the Holy Spirit. Guard this treasure. So in one instance we see where Paul's speaking to Timothy and he's talking about faith that resides inside Timothy and his mother and his grandmother. And all the other references refer to the Holy Spirit residing inside of us. So to dwell means to live in. You see, just as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, so also should the Scriptures. The Word of Christ. The Scriptures should live within us. I had a professor in Bible college. It seemed like, I think if you cut him, he would bleed Scripture. He, just, he was so full of Scripture, you could ask him anything. And he would say, well, turn to 2 Timothy 1.5. Well, like, like he just knew it. You'd say, well, what about this? You'd say, well, Colossians 1.17 says. And I thought, how does he know this? How did he get to this place? Oh, if I could just get to the place where Scripture was inside of me and it just came out of me like that. You know what I realized? I realized it was a lifetime. A lifetime of just reading Scripture, studying Scripture, praying Scripture. It was a lifetime of teaching through the Scriptures that the Scripture was just inside of him. It dwelled. It was dwelling within him. In fact, it's no accident that the parallel of this text, Ephesians five eighteen through 20 there's a very close parallel there, uh, instructs us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, he says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the individual who has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, who is controlled by the Spirit, submits themselves to the authority and the teaching of the Scriptures. John MacArthur says it this way. He says, To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by His Word. To have the, richly, the Word richly dwelling is to be controlled by the Spirit, since the Holy Spirit is the author and power of the Word. Therefore, these expressions are interchangeable. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the Word. Because the Spirit is the author and power of the Word. So Paul's not saying to the Colossians, you need to seek some additional outside experience. He's saying you need to know the Scriptures. You need to know Jesus as revealed in the Scriptures. You see, believers love and submit to the Word. We struggle. Don't get me wrong. We struggle. And there are mornings when I get up and you know you know the thing at our house that mine and Kim's rule is no Bible, no breakfast. And I feel strongly, we violated this at camp a couple of times because Bill was awesome at cooking breakfast. We did Bible after breakfast. But the, but the, the reason I do that, the reason that we live that way is because it's sometimes I don't want to read God's Word. Right? Sometimes I get up and I'm like, oh, I've got so much to do and I know what it says, but I need to be in God's Word. And there is never a time when I'm in it and I regret it because the Spirit inside of me loves God's Word. And it's a struggle to submit to the Word. But the more you do it, the more you want it. And the less you do it, the less you want it. I don't remember where it came from, but someone once said, It's interesting, sin will keep you from the Word, and the Word will keep you from sin. It's a reality in the believer's life. So Paul, he appeals to the Colossian believers to be people of the book. To submit to the power of God by the Holy Spirit. To submit to what the Bible says. That's why Paul goes on and he says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom. The Greek word wisdom, Sophia, can be defined as the capacity to understand and as a result to act wisely. So it's the capacity to understand and as a result acting upon it. It is the knowledge that leads to proper judgment and the ability to follow the best course of action. So being smart is not the same as being wise. One can be a church member, a deacon, a pastor, a missionary, a professor of theology, and still not let the Word of Christ richly dwell within them. That's why week after week after week, I intentionally ask this question. So how do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, at Harmony Bible Church? That I ask that question every single week for a reason. You see, I don't want us to just get fat heads, to just be theology majors. I want to know how to respond, I want to have the knowledge to know how to respond and act upon that knowledge. I don't want to have a full head and an empty heart. And I recognize that's a real danger. It's a very real danger in our lives. So just, like we read in the, just like we read in the book of James, Paul doesn't want the Colossian believers to be merely hearers of the word. If you read James, James says, don't just be merely hearers, but be doers of the word. And to underscore this point, Paul specifically mentions teaching and admonishing one another. The teaching uh, is different than admonishing. Teaching is instructive in nature. So teaching is the orderly arrangement of truth and the effective communication of it. So it's the the arrangement of truth and then communicating it. And admonishing is corrective. So teaching says, this is the way you should go. And admonishing says, you're going the wrong way. Right? It's the warning of the consequences of unruly behavior. Scripture tells us, admonish the unruly. Correct them. So the language that he uses here is similar to what we read earlier in Colossians 1.28 several months ago when we were back in Colossians 1. Where he says, We proclaim Him, Jesus, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. We're doing this. We're admonishing every man. We're teaching every man with wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. You see, there's a goal in mind. And the goal is not just being puffed up with knowledge. The goal is being complete in Christ. It's being mature in Christ. It's growing up in Him and then acting upon what we know. Here in Colossians 3.16 though, we see a little different uh, understanding or a little different, different emphasis because a key part of the text that is focused on here in 3.16, is on specifically the issue of music. The New American Standard, as we've been reading, reads like this. It says, Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The NIV says this, and this is not a knock on the the NIV, the New International Version, but it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Do you see the difference? One says, teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The other one says, teach and admonish one another and sing with thankfulness. There's a difference. There's a big difference. The New Living Translation goes even further. Again, seeking to be interpretive in nature and seeking to simplify the sentence structure. It says this, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Period. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Period. Period. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Period. So, the New Living Translation would would have us believe that the text is saying, teach and counsel one another with wisdom. And another command is, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. While the Colossians were to teach and admonish one another and they were to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, they're not two separate commands. The command of Colossians 3.16 is let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There's one imperative. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. Here's how you're going to do that. You're going to do that through teaching and admonishing each other through these songs that you're going to sing. So don't hear me say that we aren't to teach and admonish one another outside of music. And don't hear me say that that's the only role of music. What I'm saying is here in Colossians, Paul is making a very clear point. Let the Word of Christ... The Gospel. The Scripture. Let it dwell within you. Let it affect your life. And here's how you're going to do that. You're going to do that through teaching and admonishing one another in song. Through songs. So the Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs are the means through which the Colossians can teach and admonish one another to be obedient to the Word. You see, the Colossian church was dealing with false teachers, as I said earlier. They're dealing with false teachers who are perverting the gospel. They're adding to the gospel. They're saying, you need to be circumcised. The gospel's great, but you need to get circumcised. The gospel's great, but you need to receive the second blessing. You need to to receive this experience. You need to have this experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, no. Paul's saying, no, being filled with the Holy Spirit is one and the same... Right? As, as letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you. It's knowing the scripture, living a life that is obedient to the scripture. So, Paul's instructing the Colossians to hold fast to the true message of the gospel. And he's telling them that one of the ways they should do this is through song. See, Paul knows that singing is powerful. Music, by the way, is extremely, extremely powerful. And I read this week, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said a singer has no more right to lie than a preacher. That our singing must be based on truth. And that the songs we sing have power in our lives. that They, they, they affect the way we think. How many of you have been driving down the road and you're flipping through the radio, and a song comes on the radio, and you start singing it, and you, th- and you sing the lyrics, and then you think, oh my, did that just come out of my mouth? Right? In my days before I was a believer, I learned all kinds of songs. And I'll flip through the radio, I've done this before, flip through the radio, and I get to a song, and I start singing it, and I go, I sang that? I had no idea what that even meant. But I'm telling you, I was singing it, because music affects us. That's why we're so careful about the music that we uh, let our kids listen to, right? We may be legalists. You can call us legalists, but we realize the power that music has over our lives. I understand the effect that it has. And when you get something stuck in your head and you think, "I need to get this out." But it's there. See, music, Paul knows that singing is powerful and it can help the Colossian believers remain grounded theologically. Thus, it can be an effective weapon against false teaching. Paul has called them to let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts in one body and singing is especially corporate. The cool thing about singing, right, is I'm going to preach this sermon and there's some corporate element of it that you all listen, we respond Mark says, Amen, that there's, there, there's some element of, we do this corporately, but when we sing, I can't think of what is more corporate than that. That we all minister to one another. That as we raise our voices to God individually, we also do so corporately. And Paul understands that the songs that these Colossian believers sing of thankfulness, that as they remember what God has done for them in the Gospel, that thankfulness will grow in them. He says, sing songs of thankfulness, because when you sing, you're going to be more thankful. And as you are more thankful, you're going to sing more. And what does that mean? You're going to get more thankful. In other words, as they sing songs of thanksgiving, as they teach and admonish one another in song, they become more and more and more thankful and they see more clearly the sufficiency of the gospel. So lastly, I want you to notice the type of music that Paul encourages the Colossian church to to employ. He says this is the type of music you should employ in teaching, admonishing, and encouraging one another. He says with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, if you're th- sitting there and thinking, see, I told you choruses are unbiblical. <laughs> um, the first word, psalms, refers to the Old Testament psalms. He's speaking about the singing of God's word. We should sing God's word, especially the psalms, which, are really, which were written to music for the purpose of singing. The next word is hymns. The word, uh, this word only appears here and in Ephesians 5.19 in Scripture. And don't mistake this as referring to the hymns that we might know, the hymns in our hymn books, right? For those hymns were not written yet, nor was the style of music even thought of. I assure you, Jesus did not walk the face of the earth with a King James Version Bible in one hand and a hymn book in the other, right? We may, in our culture, sometimes want to think that or espouse that, but that's not the case. And then he, he, finally he mentions spiritual songs, the term spiritual refers to someone who has received God's Spirit and presumably lives in accordance to this relationship. So they've received the Spirit and they live in accordance with that relationship. So one could say a spiritual song is a, a song that encourages one to live in right relationship with God. So there's a lot of conjecture right, as to what these different types of songs were. How did these types of music differ? Did, they, did some have instrumentation and others not? How did they, what was the, were, they, were some directed toward other believers and some directed toward God? What is the, how are these musics, these different types of music, how do they differ? Well, the most important thing to note, to note here is that he lists different types of music. Not even so much what type they are, but that they're different. In other words, he's saying, when you, sing, when you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, when you sing these things, whatever they are, here's what's important. It's not so much about the type of music, but instead principles by which you must evaluate the music you listen to. You see, and I purposefully, in thinking about what is the gospel, I thought, let's put a rap video on the screen, right? Because if you know me, I love Christian rap. Because you can say things, those people can talk faster than I can. If you you can say things in two minutes, theologically, there is so much doctrine wrapped into that video. And I encourage you to go back and listen to it again. The doctrine that is in that video is amazing, there's so much compressed into that. You see, Paul's not hung up on the genre of music but instead the purpose of music. And if I come in here and say we can only sing choruses, right? Then I'm no better. I'm hung up on the genre. If I say we can only sing hymns, then I'm no better. If I say we can only sing rap, and trust me, you don't want me to try rap, to rap, right? I'm missing the point. The point is that these principles must be followed. Paul understands that singing is a ministry that the church can participate in together as one body. That it unifies them. That it unifies them as they lift up the name of Christ. That they can lift up their voices in harmony and glorify God. And they can teach and admonish one another. And that the result will be that the gospel will dwell in them richly. And their hearts will overflow with thankfulness. So here's the question. So how do we apply all of this, both individually and corporately, here at Harmony Bible Church? How do we become more Bible-centered, knowing, knowing that this is the key, or a key, to God's plan for harmony at Harmony? How do we recognize that God's plan for peace involves being more Bible-centered. Well, number one, we must let the Word of Christ richly dwell within us. We must. We must, like the Colossians, be people of the book. Right? Read it. Study it. Memorize it. Live it. That's hard. It's hard work. If I'm going to be like My professor in Bible college, that's going to require a lot of time and effort and energy. But we must let the Word of Christ richly dwell within us. Number two, we must teach and admonish one another. We must teach each other. We must proactively point each other in the right direction. But then we must also admonish one another. We must correct each other when we're headed in the wrong direction. And there will be times when every one of us will be headed in the wrong direction. And praise God for brothers and sisters who say, Hey, come back this way. You're heading in the wrong direction there. Let me show you what Scripture says. Not what I think, what Scripture says. And then thirdly, we must recognize the blessing and intent of congregational singing that congregational singing serves to do those very things, to let the the Word of Christ richly dwell within us, and to teach and admonish us. I've come to realize this, that as I preach, week after week, Wayne Wallace told me this, he said, the people in your church, they're going to remember the closing hymn long after they remember your message. And at first that was kind of disheartening. It's like, I I study, and pour, and, and pray about what does the church need to hear? And they remember the hymn, right? I could just avoid the studying. We could just sing hymns. But see, I can't do that. Instead, I'm letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within me. And hopefully, hopefully, as we think about the music, the music points us back to this. To the message that they fit together. That it, the words that we sing, that they, they have an intent. They help us to let the Word of Christ dwell within us, and they help to teach and admonish one another. That's why we don't only sing songs of thanksgiving. Songs of thanksgiving we should sing, and we should sing with thankfulness, but we also sing songs sometimes that instruct us to turn around, to repent. We sing songs that teach us theological truths and songs that admonish us to turn around when we're going the wrong way. So we must recognize the blessing and intent of congregational singing. So we have to evaluate the following. Does it bring glory to God? Does this music, this song, bring glory to God? Is it Bible-centered? Meaning, does it communicate the message of the gospel? And does it knit our hearts together? Does it encourage us in corporate worship? And then does it work to teach and admonish us as individuals and as a body? And then does it cause us to be thankful? And that's my prayer, that as we sing, we recognize that singing is not just something that we do, that we go through the motions, that really those who lead music, that music is not their gift. It's not their spiritual gift per se. It's not even the, the purpose. The purpose of music is to teach and admonish. That the, the person who leads music in the church should hopefully be the person who's, who's gifted, who has a calling to teach, a calling to admonish, a calling to encourage. I don't know many people better who do that better than to put tea on the spot than tea. Right When He introduces a song and He teaches, admonishes, and encourages through the music ministry. right, Letting that Word of Christ richly dwell. But when we sing congregationally, it should be the same way. We should be letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within us, that it should encourage us, teach us, admonish us, and ultimately, when it does, we will sing with thankful hearts. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity we have now to sing to you. God, I pray and ask that as we do so, that you would work mightily in and through us. God, that we would recognize the power of music. God, that we would recognize... That the words that we sing are to teach, they're to admonish, they're to encourage. And God, may we bring glory to you as we sing your praise, recognizing that you are the one who will do those very things as we lift our hearts and lift our voices together in one body. Again, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Knit our hearts together now as we sing. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Pauley, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomason, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Harmony Bible Church, visit www.harmonybible.org. God bless, and to God be the glory.